Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Serious Security Seminar for this Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. Thanks for attending. I'd like to welcome Arian Duresi. He is a professor of computer science at Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis, uh, IUPUI to some of you. He's published over 100 papers in journals, over 220 articles and conference proceedings, and 12 book chapters. His research interests include trust engineering, system security, trustworthy artificial intelligence, AI-controlled network architectures and protocols, and quantum computing. NSF, USD, states, universities, and industry sources funded his research. He was named among the top 2% of scientists on Stanford's list in September of 2020 and updated in October of 2022. And let me give you a little bit of uh, an idea of what Professor Duresi is going to be talking about. His topic today is trust engineering from developing resilient systems to artificial conscience. The talk will discuss how we engineer trust among agents, humans, and algorithms to develop solutions to significant practical problems, including trustworthy AI and multiple applications, resilience in systems in framework for artificial conscience to control IA, excuse me, AI, which we extend to system security. So again, thank you, Professor Duresi. And I want to remind all of our viewers to go to the Sirius website and sign up for the Security Symposium March 28th and 29th. Hopefully, Professor Duresi will uh, join us there and you can take it away. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. So today we'll be talking about this trust engineering and how we, we are using it to, to reach several goals. So I've been working on trust for probably around 20 years now. And more I work on trust, more I kind of get fascinated on trust. It's one of those things you can leverage to build uh, systems, any type of system, security systems, as we'll discuss today, AI systems. So, and the reason is that it looks like uh, this trust notion, it's kind of at the, it's the essence of decision-making. So, and mostly all of things we do are decision-making. We make decisions from small ones to big ones. So that's why if you are able to handle trust basically, and now also include machines in this concept. So let me go ahead. It's kind of very, uh, this is kind of tricky because this concept is kind of very large concept. It has many angles. And there are many disciplines who studies this psychology, some of the, all this very new, like neurophilosophy. And I, I basically we can spend a lot of time here and I don't think uh, that's the goal for this talk. So basically uh, I, I will go to more practical angle to see how we can use trust. So if we start the definition again, that's not a good start because there are so many definitions about trust and people don't agree. And I think the reason is there are many angles. So, but anyway, kind of uh, from the practical point of view, pragmatic point of view, basically it and this is kind of definition somehow we like. So involves some willingness to trust, I mean, to, to kind of believe that somebody will do something and uncertainty is involved in this and so on. So as I said, we don't want to get stuck with this definition or any other definition for that manner. So basically how to make practice use of trust or even more kind of pragmatic way to say it, how do, do we include computers in managing trust? The first thing we have to do, we have to measure. So basically probably that's the beginning of kind of, let's say new type of science, the real science started with Galileo. And that's the saying there, basically we have to be able to measure things. Otherwise you, you cannot build science without measuring. So how to measure trust? Actually, there are many trust systems who try to measure in different manners. So our approach has been kind of simple approach, but also very powerful in my opinion. So why? Because we consider trust assessments physical, phys, uh, similar to physical measurements. So as you measure uh, weight, length, time, 
So you use some tools. So again, we think that somehow our brain is measuring trust. Now, how our brain is measuring trust, probably, who knows, in some distant future, people, uh, neuroscientists might find out, but for the time being, we don't know. And basically, it's not our job to, to go and find this. So we, we will use kind of whatever people tell us, kind of external signals they use, I mean, to, to measure trust, and we will capture that, like a physical, physical measurement. Now, when you do physical measurements, the real deal is how you deal with errors. And this is probably the biggest benefit of considering trust assessment like a physical measurement, because we can apply, uh, there is a very established theory of, of measurements, measurement theory, and we can apply this theory. Basically, this makes very adaptable our scheme. Now, let me show what we are talking about. So basically, there are two major operations when you deal with trust. I mean, trust transitivity and trust aggregation are basically in series or in parallel, and there could be many combinations of them. Now, different trust systems define ways to do this, different formulas or stuff like that. What we are saying that we are saying, let us leave this to the user, to the application. They can use any type of formula, any type of algorithm, how you, you combine trust. And then once you, you have found the formulas or the algorithm, which is better for your application, then you can use, use measurement theory to handle the errors in this calculation. So this is the, in one sentence, the advantage of our system. Now, based on this, we have developed our trust model. So basically start with trust modeling, here we, we map whatever signals we want to capture from humans or machines to those trust metrics. And this is totally depending on, on the context on applications, how you do this mapping. Even the manipulation, those operations somehow will depend on, on application. And again, our, our trust scheme based on those measurement theory helps in doing this. And finally, we have to couple and use these results in the application. So basically in all discussions today, somehow we'll have uh, examples of, of these things working together. So let me show you some of the uses we have done of this trust engineering, which probably we'll be hearing more and more in the future. So the first thing we have done, we have to, we had to validate our system. And this is probably the most, tricky part when you deal with trust. Because as I said, anybody, there are many trust systems, but then you have to validate them. And validation, we have used stock market. And the reason we use that because it has two key features, stock market. The data is available. You don't need to, to, to dig a bag for data. Data is there, it's very reliable. The price of any stock, I mean, it's it's there, you cannot change it. Uh, so the ground truth data is reliable and available. So that's our two major features we, we somehow pushed us to use for validation. And later on, we have used for to build trustworthy AI, as we discussed later on, then to, to generalize to reliability in systems, and then finally in AI control. So let me explain a little bit our validation on, on uh, stock market. So basically we used Twitter, Twitter data. We went over some, after some large groups of, of investors in uh, stock market and we collect, collected all, all their kinds of tweets for I think around six months or a little bit more. And then what we did, we considered each tweet exchange, retweet, every kind of signal we get there, like to, to uh, signals of trust. And we measured, so we did that mapping between, between this uh, Twitter data and for each pair of people. And we used also the content of tweets using some tools and uh, sentiment analysis tools. So the bottom line, the final results for each pair in this group, and we are talking about around uh, 1 million people, we, we built a trust between each one of them. We also included some, some um, uh, 
insight from psychology in the sense that trust depends on time and many other details. So finally, we did that kind of aggregation of trust with those formulas using our system. And the end result, we created kind of a map of trust in this large investor data set where you have kind of, you can visualize like 3D map when top mountains are people who have high, very high trust. Now, going back to the context, depending the meaning here, when you say I trusted person, is that somebody who is good at kind of giving advice for stock market. So you see, it's not, we don't care about other qualities, just being good at, at that particular feature. So, and somehow this is one of the results you can see, for example, power, basically it's kind of a way to, to say trust. In this case, it is a bit modified. So distribution, it, it's kind of clear. I mean, most of the people uh, have very low trust in this manner of predicting stock. And that's why a lot of people lose money in stock market. And there are very few people who are good at this. We can call these people kind of guru of stock market. So after building this map of trust, then we went and somehow filtered out all their advices because that's what they do in this group. They give kind of advices to each other, how to invest and where to invest and so on. Now, why people do that? I don't know, but this is a fact of life that there are people who can give you very good advice on stock market. And basically people have, trying, have tried to, to use uh, tweets, for predicting and even trust. But what we do, we kind of filter uh, based on trust. And after we do this filtering and manipulation and everything, we compare it with the real stock market. And this is, for example, Amazon stock market in some for some amount of time. And we are after, in stock market terms, is, they are called abnormal returns. So basically, this is kind of tough to get these things. Why? Because otherwise you can do economical predictions on stock market and everybody does that, but this is very tough. And this is where you can really make or lose money on this kind of things. And guess what? We found a very good kind of matching between our predictions based on uh, Twitter data and filtered by trust and what's happening. And, and even more surprisingly, it was that our kind of indicators were three days before the fact. So this is kind of very strange. And actually we were even surprised how good it was. Now, some people have told me probably I should leave my everyday job and go for this. And probably that wouldn't be a bad idea because there is a lot of potential. But as I said, our goal is was not really to make money. Our goal is to really test our system. And I think we, we the, the data have been good for that manner. Now, let me see how we used uh, our trust system or this trust engineering related to trustworthy AI. And probably this is one of very timely topic of these days. Why? Because there is an explosion of AI in any form and in any shape, in any application. And the real deal now, how much we can trust AI. It's not anymore a question how good AI is, but how you can, how much you can trust it. And we have to be able to measure this. And we are not talking anymore about kind of things just for fun. Uh, usually I compare AI with kind of a metaphor as a child. So basically we can say for time, uh, so far AI has been like a child and people, any, anything a child does, people say, oh, how cute it is. Even when the child does something bad, some mistakes, say, oh, I mean, try to, but nobody keeps the child responsible. But now the child is growing up. It's becoming an adult. And the adults, they are, they are responsible for, for what they do. So basically we are in this transition between childhood and adulthood of AI. And, and for the time being, we need to make sure that we are able to measure how trustworthy AI is. Now we have worked in this kind of creating a framework. So we have a paper, kind of very successful paper review related to trustworthy AI. So we have figured out some control points. So basically our approach is that we, we should keep people in the loop. 
Why? Because for the time being, the, the AI is still a child. Who knows, in some distant future, AI might become really adult and we can uh, deal differently. But for the time being, we have to have people's, people, humans in the loop and have some control points and create metrics where people can measure the trustworthy of AI. So, and have been calls from many organizations related to AI. So this is the latest call. Artificial intelligence risk management framework from NIST, or just generally, but in the meantime, have been called from US government agencies, from ISO organizations. So basically, and this is nothing special for AI, all technologies have to go through standardization. But now we are not talking about standardization of how good AI is, because in many fields it's already good, but how trustworthy is. So this is the real question to have standards which measure how trustworthy the AI tools are. And this would be similar to medical standards. For example, we have for medical devices, for medicines and so on, we have standards. So FDA apply the standards, finally approves them, and then you can safely use them. So now to develop standards, we need metrics. Now, two things about metrics. They have to be meaningful to capture what you are trying to, to show that the AI is doing and should be easy to measure. Basically, you have to include procedures and everything. So far, we have developed three metrics. One is acceptance, explainability, and fairness. So I will explain in some applications which each one of them. So let me start with this, the first one, acceptance. We, have, we had a kind of large project funded by NSF and USDA, five-year project. So basically uh, decision-making in food, energy, water. So, and we have developed some tools so based on AI. So this is a region in Oregon because our partners are in that field. So by the way, the, this science is very complex, how, how you make decisions in this field of agriculture. And again, I'm not expert in the field, but my, my collaborators are. So basically they have developed AI systems which one make so-called kind of optimized decision. But the trick is that here, the science might not really be very precise in the sense that conditions might change, many factors might not be included, could be many views, long-term, short-term, could be, conflicting interest, for example, in some application could be farmers. So these farmers have to reach some uh, joint decisions, but many factors could, could, uh, could be trade-off factors like profit, um, uh, protecting environment. So finally, the bottom line is that you cannot rely 100% on AI solutions. Why? For a very simple reason, because you cannot force those solutions, even though they might be in on paper perfect, in real life, people have to accept them. And this is what we are doing to lead uh, people to accept them. And now let me explain in this case, how, what we call trust assessment or trust measurement. So we think that each, let us make it simple, a group of farmers, and they might have their own goal. And for example, next year, I, I would like to keep this profit and whatever goal it. So basically the distance from that goal, we will call kind of trust assessment. So the closer to the goal, basically higher the trust for that solution. So having this in mind, let me explain a little bit what we are doing. So our AI system, and by the way, this is online tool, generates solutions from, this could be farmers, but could be any type of actor. And they select solutions which fit them better, not necessarily. For example, let's say AI says this is the perfect solution, but for some reason they, they don't select it. Why? Because this solution might lead to a very low profit for them. So anyway, what we do, we measure the distance from each of whatever people's solution to, to this solution. And somehow uh, one minus the distance we call acceptance or, and also weighted by trust, this becomes our metric. So, and we use this metric to optimize solutions. So let me show you the meaning of the solution. So let's say this could be, let us call this reference solution. So let's say 
the AI, the AI has decided, has found that the optimal point for this group of people, which somehow uh, it's good trade-off trade of profit and environment. And there are many other things, what type of crop you grow, what, where you get your water. You know? So there are many parameters. Let's say the AI system has found this. Now, this might be the starting point for them, so or the ending point, so depend on how things go. And you see, for some reason, they might stick with their solutions and don't go here. And there is no way on earth you can force these people, they're kind of private owners. So basically, you, you can measure this kind of average distance. So basically, this would be our kind of way to measure trust in the, this uh, solution. So what they do after they get solutions from AI system, they start to start to negotiate. For example, the idea could be that if all this region reaches some good point from environment protection, because uh, I somehow learned myself a little bit this agriculture science. So basically, if you misuse the, the soil, you can kill it. So basically, decisions from each one of them will influence the whole, almost the whole region. So it's not, kind of, even though the decisions are personal, but the consequences might not be personal. On top of that, could be incentives by, who knows, governments, agencies saying, okay, if somehow the whole regions use more, let's say, river water versus groundwater uses this type of fertilizer, you get more money, all of you. So basically it could be some joint goal for them, but they have to negotiate it. So basically we use those trust metrics and they negotiate. So basically suppose I select, I'm kind of bad actor, let's say I select totally my profit. I don't care about anything else. Somehow others will downgrade me. And it turns out this kind of reputation in community has a lot of value. People have tried in real experiments, for example, in California, try to save energy. And the only, the only way they can do it ju just using the reputation. Anyway, the bottom line, I'm kind of skipping the details. So basically, we have used game, game theory to, to, let's say, model this and then control theory because these are feedback loops where the trust is kind of the, the influencing factor. And we can show that basically using, and we have some parameters, so related to trust sensitivity. The trust sensitivity means how you would sense trust. So basically, if you don't care about other people's opinion, you have low trust sensitivity. Otherwise, somehow high trust sensitivity, you kind of listen to others more and so on. And we can show with our work that somehow these are different scenarios where in low trust sensitivity, basically, the final result might be kind of, this is the average distance from the goal. And when it's uh, high, let's say, uh, trust sensitive, you can get better results and so on. So basically the, the bottom line is that without the system, they can stick with whatever solution, which is this outer circle. Then depending on how, how sensitive they are, they can go closer to the so-called optimal solution or even closer. Anyway, uh, the, the great uh, let's say advantage of this tool is, is that let people bring also other knowledge on the table. For example, probably, and this could happen, that we assume that this optimal point is kind of a real good point. But guess what? Suppose AI is making a big mistake. Why? Because it, it might be missing some factor which is not part of the data. And that happens with AI. In that case, these people won't go in that, uh, let's say, point at all. And that could be a big signal for who is handling the system. You have to fix something. So I think this is the real value of, of the system. Anyway, we have done a lot of experiments of basically how you can, uh, based on this trust sensitivity and so on, basically how many rounds and all of that. So and what we do next, we take this feedback from people and we inject to the AI system and the AI system can generate even better solutions. So basically being closer to what the people people want. For example, in that case, I said before that AI might be wrong in, in deciding what is optimal and people with their feedback can tell the AI system, no, 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 don't optimize like that. You, you have to take care of some other issues and then we can get uh, somehow better results. And we can capture this with numbers using our metrics uh, that uh, 
trustworthy acceptance. For example, we have, we have simulated three systems having different type of feedback and different places of me uh, measurements. And the final result, let's say we have the blue system, kind of uh, uh, red system and orange system. And you see they have different uh, acceptance. Let's say in this case, it's better to go with the blue system. And also this could be not just for everyday use, but also for standardization. So USDA might kind of apply this to make standard, uh, let's say, acceptance for these tools and they might say okay the blue system you can use it on on the field but not the, this kind of orange system and so on so this is one example and by the way this type of solutions where you have contradicting goals and you might not have full knowledge it's typical in many uh, real systems and for example climate change you know that uh, we are facing this problem of climate change and somehow we have to deal with many angles. Uh, I think the, the only way to deal with this is to have similar solutions where, because it's easy to say, okay, the AI decided that now you have to do this, but that might be wrong for many reasons. First of all, the AI might be wrong. And second, even suppose the AI is right, people, uh, you cannot totally change people's life or overnight because the AI said so. So always will be this kind of negotiation and what we have shown with our work and we are convinced that uh, you can get much better results to, to get people accept what uh, AI's, let's say, results are in, in real life. And as I said, this has a great potential in all these climate change uh, problems. Now, let me move on to the other metric, which is explainability. And we have shown this, uh, applied this in medical field. It turns out in medical field, AI is it's pretty good. For example, we have been studying in kind of diagnosing cancer. And by the way, it turns out it's better than doctors. Why? Because again, it, it boils down to image processing and AI, I mean, the computers are much better to, to process images than people. So, but the adoption is very slow. Why? Because finally the, the accountability belongs to the doctor. So as the, the cartoon says, and that, that, that might be realistic. So if, if things go wrong, you cannot sue AI. Finally, the doctor has to make the decision. And the reason the doctors uh, somehow don't trust this tool is because they don't understand they, uh, how they reach the decision. And that's a big deal. So let me show what we are talking about. So we have applied in this, this is particular type of cancer, uh, this ductal carcinoma in situ, some prediction of how, uh, if the cancer will, will come back or, or not in some cases. And I'm working with some my colleagues in uh, machine learning techniques and real doctors. So basically we, we have used real cases of cancer with ground truth and to make the story short so basically in this system we have i mean the the machine learning techniques used in this case are they use around 30 parameters but the real doctors they use much few parameters and these parameters kind of developed by uh, the algorithms are totally meaningless from human point of view so if you show these parameters to the doctor the doctor says i don't know what you are talking about the doctor usually have very few parameters ready to um, cell size and cell kind of orient, uh, how they are organized and so on. So basically, even though the machine might be better than the doctor, because the doctor doesn't understand these uh, features and these parameters. And again, this is a very simple case. In real life, you could end up with millions of parameters. And all of them might be totally meaningless from a human point of view and their combinations and so on. So basically, uh, there is no way any human can, can understand, for example, how deep learning developed this algorithm. So what we have done, we have used those, we created some agents like those proxy for the doctors, and we somehow try to, especially for the cases when there is this disagreement between doctors and, and machines, to, to, let's say, capture the explainability on top of that, have the real doctors judging the whole scenario. And we have developed, again, a metric based on 
how good they understand what's going on and apply to different systems and different points. And again, the, the, the end result that we have, uh, let's say in this case, we have two systems, system one and system two, and guess what? This system one, it is much better explainability than system two. And again, this could be used not only in everyday life application, but also could be used by uh, FDA to, to make standard, to approve system. For example, system one could be approved for use in hospital. And in that case, once it's approved by FDA, basically can be used in hospitals without problem, but system two, for example, doesn't reach that explainability. Now I'm explaining from the accuracy point of view, they might be the same. So, but this system doesn't explain itself well, or people don't understand it. And this is measured. So again, this is a great tool. And we are talking about including both how, how much they can trust it and also the confidence and so on. So it, that's that's part of that measurement theory I talked before. So let me move to some another field of applying trust. And this is filtering information on social media. And we live in this time of social media and we are aware of a lot of stuff, my, my kind of misinformation attacks or whatever you want to call it. And sometimes it's it's noise. Not necessarily people are trying to do some something malicious, but it's noise. And, and probably this is even a bigger problem than, than malicious. For example, we have done some testing in medical field, especially in medical field, information on social media, it's most it's noise. And you can just think, suppose you do search for a diet, what is the best diet for some for yourself, let's say. And you you can find totally <laughs> contradicting results. So that's the meaning of noise. So basically, but this is very serious. For example, in medical field, people are, are kind of trusting social media to make decisions between life and death, and death. So basically how to improve the situation. Again, we are after, especially our kind of, fake users or misusers. And again, we, we, uh, we apply our trust schemes on them. So basically the, the rationale is that if you can trust the users, you can trust somehow the information coming from them. To make it the story short, basically we apply trust similar to what we did in the stock market. But in this case, it's a little bit more tricky because attackers also might once they know that you are using trust, for example, to filter information, they might kind of fake trust. So basically they, they might create groups in which one they increase each other trust. So basically we went another step farther. So we thought about that. So, and we, we studied this uh, social media environment by building cluster of trust and see having some assumptions when this cluster could be good trust or bad clusters. For example, if they have very high density, so basically, or they are developed very quickly in time, then most likely they're bad clusters. Some, somebody trying to increase each other trust. So uh, they don't have time to stay years on, on social media to, to develop trust. If they want to do some damage, they will join, I don't know, 200 people today and tomorrow the trust will be very high and then they, they can escape trust filters. But if you study from this cluster point of view and time point of view, basically we, we can get some better results. And we have, these are some results we have obtained. So basically in this case, it's kind of naive way of applying trust. So basically filtering out uh, if, for example, these are users with low trust. So basically the damage they can do, it's very minimal because you can filter them out. But if they have high trust and for example, they might have increased th their trust Artificially, then you are in trouble. So basically that's why we went after this cluster business of analyzing uh, social media users. And again, not only we, we use some machine learning techniques to, to build these clusters, and we somehow this is the average trust of that cluster, but also the density. For example, this cluster here has high trust, but also very high dense density. So most likely, uh, what does it mean? It means that these people don't have 
they might have very few connections outside because to get kind of trust from normal users, it, you, it takes time. You cannot get high trust in a day or so. So basically combining this trust density and timing, basically all of these tools can be used to figure out the, the, the chances of this, this cluster to be good or bad. And by the way, I think this has great potential to be used in social media like Twitter, for example. Somehow you build trust kind of button up. So basically users themselves uh, rate somehow just by the, and somehow Twitter uses this type of algorithm, but uh, probably uh, this is a little bit going more than that to, to trying to find kind of malicious users. Again, I think this is a great, has great potential to be applied because more and more we, we rely on social media data as I, and as I said, most of the time the data might, might not be very safe. First of all, might be malicious data and we know that. And my worry, it's even worse is of the noise because somehow malicious data, you can even kind of yourself, if somehow it's very critical in judging the information, but if it's noise, it's very easy to, to, to fall about noise. Uh, and again, in my opinion, this will be a big, a huge uh, field to apply these trust techniques in social media. Then uh, let us move on now to another proto different field. Uh, how to develop resilience in systems. By the way, I've been working in this field for some time, and I'm very happy to see that this resilience now is getting much more attention. By the way, there is the latest, let's say, uh, strategic plan by the cyber cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency CISA, which is the top federal agency. This is a very young agency; it has been there for a few years, and they have released the new, uh, the first strategic plan. And what they, the, uh, it looks like there is kind of shifting gears in the sense that now resilience becomes the new focus. What it means. Of course, we need all other type of protections, but the, the final result is that today, no matter how good you build your system, I bring this with my students, the example of a castle. So basically think about security system like building a castle, but as we know from the history, sooner or later, all castles, castles are taken. And that's the same thing happens in security. We need all firewalls, IDSs, and all tools, but also we have to be prepared that sooner or later the attackers will be able to break our system, our protection. And the real deal is how you can survive. So even under attack, you have to keep some, some acceptable level of quality of service. And this is what, uh, they are saying now that we have to, to think about resilience. Now, working in this direction, uh, we have thought uh, how to do this and uh, to apply our trust scheme in, in this type of problem. So basically, uh, and let me show you some results we have obtained. So basically, we assume kind of distributed system with a bunch of nodes, and we have kind of we call tasks. These are applications that are distributed for redundancy reason. One task could be in many machines and so on. And now let us see what happens from the trust point of view when we emulate some attack. By the way, we have done simulation. Also, we have emulated in real kind of using virtual machines and so on. Now, to keep it simple, in our scenario, we measure, we start measuring trust from the from the point of view of flaws. By the way, one could include many other factors like, I mean, um, other signals, but just we are showing the framework here. We start with the measuring the trust of flaws. And there we can use two techniques. One uh, considering, uh, let's say, anomalous flaws, which are not normal. And for example, suppose you know what is normal and then anything which is not normal, you, you know that something is going wrong. Or you can use machine learning approach and we have, we have used that basically you do classification uh, and so on. 
sometimes might be a zero day type of attack in the sense that you might miss that. So basically this is the, the, the fight between attackers and defenders. So basically they will find ways to hide. You will find ways to, to discover them. But finally, as I said, to keep it simple, we, we just started with the flow consideration and then using our uh, trust system, we uh, developed trust of the nodes and then final trust of applications. So finally, we have a map of trust of all these entities involved. And here, this is our kind of uh, escalation of, uh, of trust, of uh, of the attack. So basically, start here, we, we sense something wrong going over here. And then you see the task four, for example, it's kind of malicious, infected, then starting to infect other nodes and keep going. So, and we can capture this by the trust, this kind of escalation, measuring trust. And this is trust in, let's say, four windows of time. These are what's happening here. Trust of uh, task, application, trust of nodes. So initially they start with uh, M, it's kind of level of trust and C, it's kind of uh, confidence. So initially everything is perfect and then something starting to, to uh, become suspicious. And, and finally, this is the end result. Somehow the trust is going down. So basically how to deal with this situation. So because so far we, we could have just a view of what's, what is going wrong. Now, for this reason, we create a new concept. We call it trustability. It's based on trust, but it has some, some little kind of uh, more complicated. And our goal is to make it kind of as general as, as reliable. You know, reliability is it's a probability that a given entity, given device or whatever, it's up or down. So, for example, it's 90% reliable, basically 90% of the time that this thing will be up. Trustability a little bit more complex. Tries to cap, try to capture uh, if an entity, node, application, whatever it is, or system, it's able to, to keep a given quality of ser uh, service under a specific attack tree. So this is the ambition. And we have, I mean, the difficulty how to tune it. So we have to tune it basically developing this attack trees and like the one I showed before, that could be a simple one, but you could have big systems and very complicated attack trees. And somehow you have to tune this uh, concept, this uh, principle of trustability on those cases. But anyway, uh, let me show you a little bit how, how we can handle it. For example, and this is similar to reliability. Reliability, if you want to increase reliability, you, you use redundancy. If this thing goes down, the same thing we are using here. So for example, we have one application running in two set of machines and we can do a calculation of trustability, basically how much the trustability will be up when you do this and what will happen if one machine goes down and so on. So here are some experiments. So we have three machines and we simulate kind of attacks in machine number one, the trust goes down, the trustability goes down, then we somehow put kind of redundant resource here, and then we bring trustability up. So anyway, the, the end result is that somehow we can calculate how much redundancy we need to keep trustability up to a certain point. Now, and the beauty of this is that now you can have kind of, uh, make predictions based, you have to, to study this type of attacks beforehand, but then when they happen, and if they happen the way you were uh, thinking of, you might be able to respond very quickly. And this is very important because now attacks and defenders, uh, attacks are done by, by visual, by, by artificial intelligence tools. So basically we are done with microseconds time. There is no time for people to get involved. So the responses have to be the same level. So our technique allows you, I mean, the user somehow to optimize this type of equation. So one is the value of that operation, basically the business you are running, the cost, because there is extra cost here. I mean, there is no free lunch. You cannot get better trustability with uh, not spending money, but also there is a big cost of failure. So if you don't spend this money here, you might be spending much more money on failure. 
And failure could be much bigger than just losing some application because think about cloud computing company like Amazon or Google, they will lose reputation, they will lose customers and so on. So basically this is easy to, to write down, but could be very difficult to, especially to capture this failure here, the failure of, uh, of basically the cost of failure. So now we are extending this because as I said, for the time being, we are using a very simple way to measure trust, just the trust of those flows. Now we have a project, I have a project with Professor Bertino of Computer Science West Lafayette, just funded this project, was funded by Purdue. Basically, she is developing this AI-based intrusion detection, one of the first one built. And actually, this system basically will study whatever the system is under study here. For example, we are applying kind of 5G edge computing. And then this result will come to our trust of this system and do those decisions we showed before to immediately deploy resources. And resource could be not only computing resources, could be computing net, could be security resources, for example, Suppose now are under some type of attack, denial of service, we might need more power to our kind of uh, firewalls. And guess what? All these are uh, visual resources. We can immediately activate them or we might need more. For example, suppose we are under some ransomware attack. So parts of the system are kind of encrypted. Now immediately we can deploy other one, other resources. So basically again, trying to optimize this equation, the value of uh, success minus the cost for extra resources, and especially minus the cost of the failure. So I believe that this has great future, this uh, concept of trustability, because this is a, a good way to assure that uh, resilience, which somehow the whole security community is asking for systems now. How to make system resilience to attacks, basically how to survive the attacks. So let us move on. So from the lessons we learned so far, we have moved on something else. And this might look a little bit fancy, uh, basically in this artificial cautions. Now, there are two lines of work. One is just trying to build this artificial cautions, basically, or to model how humans or animals develop this. And there are a lot of neuroscience models. And we are following one of the models is by Professor Mark Solms. And he believes that somehow our consciousness is related to feelings and the real, let's say, kind of, the cortex does is the, the intelligence part of the brain does kind of decisions, but somehow it's under control of the feelings. And by the way, he uses, and I was surprised because I, I saw this material much later than I was working on those previous problems. Uh, he thinks that somehow our brain also uses kind of distance between expectations, reality. It's similar to our somehow distance. Of course, this is very complicated uh, model, bio, biological model. We are not trying to replicate it or, or anything like that. We are trying to keep it very simple. And th this is what we have done so far. So let us assume that we have several AI algorithms trying to do some, some work. And each one of them has its own way of performing, reaching their goals and so on. And now we get the output of these algorithms. And again, there are some other biology model, uh, neural models we, we, we somehow we have been inspired to do this. And then on top of that, we have some agents. Now these agents, for example, the latest paper we have written in this field, we, we have a very simple uh, problem of, uh, let's say, uh, we have some data and somehow we have algorithms to kind of process the data. And one feature, I mean, main thing would be the accuracies. There are several algorithms. And then some other metrics, several type of fairness, 
classification uh, problem. It's a very simple problem and very well known, very well known uh, data set. So I want, we want to keep it very simple. And on top of that, we have developed some agents. In this case, we have one agent for accuracy and each, some other, for each of these other metrics, one agent. And this is very similar to our previous scheme. And what we have learned from our previous scheme that this negotiation trust and negotiation between them has two great features. First, it can generate very, very complex dynamics. But second, can keep the interface to human meaning very simple. For example, this is very simple saying, okay, I have an agent for accuracy, one for fairness, one, two, three. And now you guys go and negotiate with you uh, to get me a kind of good result. And we capture this good result using our fairness metric. In this uh, example, somehow we, we set the, the fairness, whatever fairness between these agents have to be reached somehow as goal. So basically they, they go explore and negotiate having the goals from us, from humans. But finally they go back and change things and they might get some places where they satisfy our goals or the end result might be that they say, sorry, with this algorithm and with this data, we cannot reach your goals. And that also is good. So finally, we want to reach some results which are the, the humans can trust. And I can show you that, for example, everybody's using the chat GPT nowadays. And probably you have witnessed a lot of fun, also this chat GPT creating fake results and so on. For example, I did an experiment myself asking, give me the best 10 papers on these artificial cautions. And it generated 10 papers. And initially I felt very bad because I, I didn't know any of those papers. And then I went to check, they were all fake papers. So basically uh, one would like to have on top of this chat GTP or this some agent this also check how true the results are because yeah, the, the kind of prediction might be great from the point of view of the algorithm but it's not good for the user. So anyway, so I believe this is a great way to go to build this. As I said, we can call this cautions or not. We don't care. I mean, from my point of view, this is a way to control AI. And, and as the control has to be simple from the meaning point of view. And then could be very complicated inside because you can get a lot of complication when these agents somehow negotiate with each other. So we are trying to apply this system, the same uh, idea on system security. So in system security, you might have all tools available, but like a puzzle, but they might be kind of, you might create in holes. So this is what we are working on. Let us say we have a lot of AI security tools, for example, intrusion detection, firewalls, and everything there, right? And they have their own, each one of them have its own goals, trying to reach those goals. But on the other hand, even though they might be successful, each one of them, finally, you might have holes, you might have missing pieces and so on. So we want to apply this control method by having agents for organization missions, for example, profit, reputation, regulations. For example, regulation is a big deal. For example, you might apply everything fine, but it happens that you are missing some regulation. And you have seen, we have witnessed that top Organizing like Microsoft and Google, they are paying a lot of fines in Europe. Why? Because they have different regulations. So again, we want these agents now to control these AI tools or whatever tools and somehow reach the point then the final results matches the mission organization which somehow security experts might, might, might not be exactly clear what, what the level of uh, missions they're dealing with. So, and this brings me kind of almost in time at the end of my talk. So basically I believe that this uh, developing these so-called uh, AI cautions, I mean, stepping stones in this direction, it's a great way to uh, have this child learn. And in this manner, uh, in this uh, case, I believe that this metaphor, it's more than a metaphor because the, the same thing happens with children. So we have children growing up, they learn, uh, and somehow they, they take this, that learning, they apply in, in somehow those values. And somehow we want this initially 
we can set up those values to those agents in these artificial cautions or AI control, but later on, we can let them learn themselves. So for example, one, do we want to teach fairness or morals through AI? Let them read all uh, literature we, we have children uh, studying or let them uh, see people, how people behave and just learn like people. And finally, I believe this interface between people and machines and machines and so on will be at this level of cautions of control because we never will be able to understand how, let's say, deep learner, who knows what people will invent. And there is nothing strange, even for people, you, you, you never know how somebody, it's kind of brain, it's working, how they do calculation. But we have our interface is at, at, at the value level. So basically we, we can judge people how fair they are or what dollar values, and then it's up to them how they apply those values. So I believe, and this might be kind of strong, kind of biased belief, but sooner or later, and I don't know how soon or how much later, we might be able to even to remove this word artificial for artificial caution. So who knows, in some distant future, we'll be just intelligence, including human machines and interfacing between us, considering them like colleagues, and the interface, much easier interface, will be based on this uh, trust interface and between this uh, control part of the humans and machines. So I think there is a lot of work. This is, I, I, my prediction is will be a lot of work in this direction. So basically, most likely we have to go back and uh, think how we teach children and similarly adapt them how to teach machines. So this brings me to the end of my talk. So I strong, strong believe that uh, we can leverage trust on all these systems and trustworthy AI is very timely. Basically, it's the most important uh, issue in AI today, how to make it trustworthy. Because to make it good, we have done that, but now the real deal is to make trustworthy. And for that, we have to have metrics and we have standards. We can use it to filter information we can use this trust uh, engineering techniques to build resilience. And as I said, the, the last thing, probably also the more kind of futuristic angle will be to develop this AI control, which will enable us to really create this. Again, uh, I don't want to predict the future, nobody can predict, but I believe, strongly believe that sooner or later we'll have this AI human socialization. And with this, I'm, I'm done. I, so if there is any question, I would be happy to answer now or anybody who wants to ask me by email or any other manner, I would be more than happy to, to discuss. Thank you so much, Professor Duresi. This is uh, your talk is fascinating and completely aligns with one of the main focuses for Sirius is that trustworthy and explainable artificial intelligence. So I really appreciate you giving it. And I'm okay, so we have a question and I will yeah. read it to you. Uh, from uh, Professor Clifton, hi, Professor Clifton, nice to see you. Um, the system developers, including the trust management system developers and end users may have different goals. How do you manage that? Yeah, I, I think this is great question really I, I love this question because this is highlights exactly what we are trying to do so basically the final verdict will be kind of the, the, the user because as a developer or even as kind of trustworthy developer whatever i am i might be wrong for many reasons for example my knowledge might be wrong my view might be wrong i i might be missing angles of things and that application in agriculture is great. It's great to show that we have seen in real life that happening. So basically using our metrics, what we will capture, we'll capture, let's say, the trustworthiness from so-called expert point of view, but also from the user's point of view. And suppose in this case, then because they have different expectations, different goals, we'll have two different numbers. And that will be big red flag. And we have to sort out who is wrong. Is the, the user for some reason 
And when I say the user might be many users, for some reason they might be wrong, or is the system wrong? But at least we have a red flag we, which we can fix. Otherwise, if we rely just on the one, for example, let us say experts, or say who, who developed this, they might be wrong. And then the end result will be, the end result is that the user won't use those results. For example, this chat GTP. As I said, I asked to generate some papers. I mean, in, in this field, subfield, created totally fake papers. So from the developer point of view, it did the job, right? Did the best so-called prediction. From the user point of view, it was a big failure. So if I have to rate it, I will give zero point. And then it's the job of the developer to take care of it. So I think this is exactly the point when they have different expectations, really this metrics can capture it. Thank you, Professor. Yeah, I see there is a follow-up. Let me see. Yeah, basically the professor is saying that he wants reported some kind of violation and and then somehow they didn't want to hear about. And so who is going to put together, as I said, uh, the best way to deal with these things is to have standards. For example, that system has to uh, obey some standard. And this is not new in technology. So for any technology, we have standards, for example, for cars. We have standards. Nobody would love so-called perfect car, which it's not safe. Let's, we have standards for safety. So the same thing. So who should take care of it should be these organizations who should certify these systems. For example, suppose making up now that somehow has to certify these shed um, AIs. And they have to certify it by testing, by using metrics, and finally saying now it's safe to use it after has have been through these tests. And hopefully, uh, yeah, of course you need regulation, like in everything. So would you take medication which is not kind of regulated? Now, again, we live in kind of strange type. People might say, okay, I don't trust organizations and so on, but it's much worse if something is not uh, under regulation. It could be much worse. As I said, nobody would touch a car even if you get kind of a gift, but they say, okay, this car is great, uh, zero money, but it's not safe. So basically they are trying to kill you. The same thing could be medication. Who knows? Could, even this chat GTP could be the same thing. Why? Because somebody could build an application. It's used chat GTP to recommend medication and medical procedures. And this is even worse because you, you might not even be aware that what is being used beneath it. So that's why I think uh, there is no way out. We need to have standards and we have to have organizations. I don't know who could be industry organization, government organizations, so on, who have to kind of enforce the standards. So that, and in that regard, AI, nothing new. It's the, the only difference is more powerful and more complicated. And this is, in my belief, it's even more a stronger reason to have kind of regulation. I don't know if I answered the question, but um, it's- I you think you did a great job, Professor Duressi, and uh, thank you, Professor Clifton, for asking such awesome questions. Really got some sparking, cool conversations. So- and by I, the way, just one more thing, because this happens to us when we start to work in that agriculture system. Uh, we had some consultant, consulting people from the real world, and they warned us. They said, be careful, guys, they said because we have seen in real life so-called optimal system generating very bad results. And they gave an example of how water was handled in California. Initially, it looked very great, this model of trading, blah, blah, blah. And then the end result was very bad. Why? Because they missed, who built the system, they missed the, the, the real problems. So for example, farmers know the real problems. I mean, you, you might be, Einstein of agriculture, but you cannot force a farmer to do something if it goes totally against the, the, their kind of interest. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Professor Duressi, for your time. It was a very interesting conversation and it has been recorded. 
will be uploaded to the Sirius YouTube site and also to our website. So you will be able to share that with people that you would like to share it with as well. And I want, oh, we may have just There is another follow-up, just a moment. Do you want to read that one? Yeah, I can read it. I'm reading it. It says that I think this may be an interesting balance between regulation openness before regulation of trust, but AI are open. And the government uh, and governed by the, the by the trusted due to regulate. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And again, as technical people, it's not our job to really say what is trustworthy or what is fair. Because for example, fairness. Fairness is human concept. And if we, I have to build fairness, most likely I, I will be wrong. I, I, what I will be doing, I will applying my concept of fairness, which might be wrong for many reasons. So for example, our fairness metric doesn't make an assumption. So basically it says that you as users or as whatever you are, you uh, somehow define what is fair. And then we will measure how close or how far away the system fairness is from what you said should be fair. And could end up two different users might have different concepts of fairness and the same system uh, could have different results for the fairness and it's up to them. Okay. okay. Uh, if nothing else, I mean, uh, again, I thank you very much for giving. Oh, no, thank you. We were very happy to have you. Hopefully, we'll see you next month at the symposium. And um, great. Uh, if anybody has any additional questions um, for Professor Professor Duresi, I think you could uh, email him. I think your information, your contact information, is on the website. And again, everybody go register for the security symposium next month. And thank you again and have a great evening.